to our series in the book of Acts called A Growing Church in a Groaning World. We're in Acts chapter 19, looking at verses 23 through 41, where uh, we read more accounts of what was happening in that city of Ephesus on the west coast of what is now Turkey. In particular, there are warnings in this passage of danger. There are, in fact, three voices crying out that there is a problem, that there is danger, and that things might go wrong, or that things are already going wrong. And as we look at this passage, it's, it's important to remember, it's one of the beautiful things about Scripture, is that it allows us... Uh, what seems to be an objectivity, that we can look at an account that's distant 2,000 years ago, right? And what we see is more clear. Even as uh, Pastor Dave was recounting that and then read that passage from Isaiah about how foolish idolatry seems when you chop down a tree and you, you make firewood out of it and you roast your meat and everything, and then the other part you make into an idol and you bow down. That seems foolish, right? But then the scriptures come and they say, you know, you do the same thing in a different way. So as we look at this passage here in Acts 19, verses 23 and following, keep that in mind uh, that, that there are lots of dangers, lots of warnings in our world today, and they are echoed here in the scriptures. And in fact, there are problems and legitimate dangers and if we will see them or not, hear them or not, pay attention to them or not, it really depends upon our perspective. So as we look at this passage, think about the perspective of the various people and what they're afraid of and what they point to as our hope. So read with me, if you would, God's holy word here in Acts 19, 23 and following. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance in a, in concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing in no little business to the craftsmen. Uh, these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless, and that she, whom all of Asia and the world worship, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord 
into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, and when the Jews put him forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them. All shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there, after all, who does not know that the city of Ephesus is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So since these things are undeniable facts, you, you ought to keep calm and to do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and the proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly, for indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word that it is trustworthy and true. Would you meet us here as we look at it, as we look at a story about events 2,000 years ago in what seems a very strange time and place, and yet, O Lord, it is profitable for us, for teaching, for training, for rebuke, for building us up. So would you meet us and build us up? We trust you'll do that because we come in the name of Jesus. And we know your spirit will work. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had uh, like a warning that was really helpful? You know, you're walking along and you don't see a post there. And someone says, watch out. And you go, whoa. You know, and you almost walk into the thing. And your heart rate just jumps up. And you're like, whoa, thank you so much. Have you ever had a, a warning where you're like, I knew that, you know. Somebody screams, there's a spider! Ah! And you're like, yeah, well, it's like this big. I'm not afraid. You know, there's, there's good warnings and bad warnings, right? Someone has said, oh, you're, you're going you're gonna to crash. And you're like, no, I'm miles away, right? The goodness of a warning depends on the perspective of the person sh- warning you, right? 
So some things are scary and some things aren't. Some things are legitimate for everyone. Some things are more focused on our particular outlook in life. All of those things go together to say that a really good warning requires the right perspective. Situations, our experience, our values, all of those things impact what we see as a threat and what we hope for and provide as promises. All of those things come together. And we see that here in this passage. There are three warning voices, and that's what we're going to look at each one in turn. Three warning voices, and two of them explicitly use the word danger. We'll unpack that in a minute, but before we do that, remember the context of what's happening in this city of Ephesus that we're reading about. We have studied it now for a couple of weeks, and in the first 22 verses of this chapter, we get a flavor for what's going on. In particular... If you look back at chapter 19, verse 17, we read of all of the things that were happening, the miraculous powers and demonstrations that God was working through Paul, and how especially this exorcism wound up going wrong. And verse 17 says, This was known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. All these great miracles taking place, amazing signs, verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. And he's been there probably for some two years preaching and teaching and and seeing these amazing things happen. And so the word has spread even as Demetrius says in the passage we read, right, that almost all of Asia seems to be turning after this message that this guy Paul is proclaiming. In fact, we we read that the word of the Lord, verse 20 says, was growing mightily and prevailing. In fact, that, that amazing story of the folks who were involved in magic and the occult and had all these valuable scrolls valued at some 150 or so years worth of wages burning them we read about that a couple of weeks ago right they gathered together verse 19 those who practiced magic brought their books and began burning them in the sight of everyone and they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver all these things going on it just it's it's Fear and power, uh, tremendous loss of material goods, transformations of people who were invested in this and now are over here persuaded of something else being true. All of these things going on. All of this fear and uncertainty mixed together. And into that then come these three voices, saying that there's a problem, saying that there's danger. So let's look, let's look at them in turn. The, the first voice is that of Demetrius, the one who we read about 
first in our passage. If you look at what he says here, uh, verse 23, Luke uh, uses this expression quite often that there was no small disturbance concerning the way. In other words, there was a big disturbance. There was a huge outpouring and outcry and a riot. Verse 24, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing in the same phrase, the same expression, no little business to the craftsmen. So you get the idea here, right? It was no little disturbance. It was huge, a riot, the whole city. No little business. That's a lot of money changing hands. This Demetrius, very influential businessman in the whole trade, making a lot of money. And what does he say? As we are now introduced to him, right? That's the background, verse 25. These, the craftsmen and tradesmen, the sense is there are skilled folks and then those who are not as skilled. There's the, the guys who are doing the work and the detail and then there's the supporting folks. All of them he gathered together Verse 25, these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this trade, this business, this enterprise, ongoing activity that we've been doing. You, you know our prosperity. Uh, the word there is uh, a, a, a compound word of, of good and uh, path. Or, or, or way. It has the sense of being maybe that our, our easy money, you know, our easy uh, life, or just, you know, our prosperity, our good way of life, the, all of that, in other words. You know, guys, he's saying, that, man, the good times depend upon this trade we're involved in. And it's good times. We are making some money. Things are going well. And you know that's what's happening to his fellow tradesmen. He says this, right? And then he says what? Verse 26. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made without hands are no gods at all. What's this guy talking about, guys? This is, this is crazy talk, right? Because he says what? Not only, verse 27, is there danger, there's the word danger, not only is there danger that this trade of ours falls into disrepute. You can read a couple of things in between the lines there, right? There's, there's danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, that our business will dry up and the income will go down. But also, there's a sense of, of dishonor. You know, these are craftsmen who, 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 who might be making idols and might even be making stuff they know is a crock, but they, they have some pride in their work. This is what they do. They, they make stuff with their hands. And like any artist, there, there has to be this sense of, this is, this is my work. This is an identity. Everyone has that in your work, right? You have some level of identity in what you do and you retire after a long time and 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 you might be at a loss like well, who am i what am i about you know those kind of things happen that's what's going on here so there's a sense of yeah we could lose income but you know there's there's more it's part of who we are 
We might, just for what we do, be now kind of dishonored and bear some shame. People might look down on us because we make these idols. Verse 27 continues, There's not only danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as worthless. The temple there in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis, was maybe like a mile and a half out of town on a hill, and it was big. It was four times the size of the Parthenon over there in, where is the Parthenon? Athens, thank you, in Athens. Four times the size of it. This, this temple had 127 columns, uh, many of them some six stories tall, 60 feet in the air, 127 columns, imposing, beautiful, all made of marble, an amazing thing. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so now he's, uh, Demetrius has gone beyond, just look, we might lose money, we might lose our reputation, and you know what? This, this temple of ours, this part of Ephesus, this se- one of the seven wonders of the world, it's ours. You know, it's like, it's, it's like your sports team folding or something. There's, there's an identity there that part of who we are is the people who have this temple that everybody envies, and it's ours. And it might become worthless. More than that, he continues, what? Verse 27, and that the whole she whom all of Asia and the world worships will even be dethroned from her magnificence. That Artemis of the Ephesians, Artemis, whose seat of power is right here in our town, Artemis, who all of Asia and perhaps most of the Roman Empire, she was one of the gods, little g, right? that was worshipped. And in fact, uh, when the, the Greeks and the Romans and their civilizations kind of all merged together, their gods kind of all got renamed and, oh, that's, your, yeah, that's the same. You know. and so uh, the Greeks had Diana, and this was Diana. There's a linkage to Apollos and Zeus, I mean Apollo and Zeus, um, and all of that going on. So this is, you know, this is a big deal for that world where they had lots of gods. And this is one of the most important. And so there's a huge amount of identity if you're in Ephesus. It's like someone coming and saying, you know, they're going to knock down, you know, City Hall and, and take Billy Penn down, right? It's like someone coming and saying they're going to knock down the link, right? Right after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Remember that happened. That actually happened. Do you remember that? Before the pandemic, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Do you guys remember that? Okay. Um, you know, it's like someone coming and saying that. Like, it's like your sports team would be leaving in the middle of the night, you know, and they're gone. You just would have this hole, you know, your identity tied up in it. Like, all those things. Here, he's saying, this is the danger. We could lose all of these things. All of it. And by the way, not only was the temple this big, amazing architectural feature but it was also a, a bank, you know, a, a savings and loan. It, it, it was a place of business transactions. It, it was an integral part of every aspect of the life of Ephesus. It was like the casinos in Las Vegas, right? If they disappeared, there would be no Las Vegas, right? 
It's like Disney World in Orlando, you know? Lake Buena Vista, just outside of Orlando. Without Disney World, there would be nothing there but swamps. That's how important it is. And that's what's threatened. That's what's in danger because this Paul guy keeps saying that gods made with hands aren't really gods. And so what happens? They get a little upset. They're enraged, it says, filled with rage, verse 28. And they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That, that, that great is Artemis. You know, that was part of a common chant about Artemis. She's great, right? And they've, they've added, you know, she's our Artemis. Great is Artemis of, of the Ephesians. Great is our Artemis. And, and of course, what are they saying? You know, that, that we're great. We're a part of this. This is, this is our thing, and it's threatened. And it's just this vague thing happening, and we don't know how to get control of it. But it's really scary and frightening, and we're just really mad, and we've now been just stoked up. And we head out. And they do one of the most rational things in the whole passage. They go to the theater, which don't think like, you know, don't think tower theater, okay? Uh, don't think theater like that. Think of an outdoor coliseum. Uh, caught into the hillside, not far out of town. Uh, think of a stadium that's open that seats 15 to 25,000 people. But it's jammed into a smaller space. So the stage is maybe a little bigger than what we have here, but you've got, you know, 20,000 people all up the hill down. And that's where they would settle uh, city business. That's where they would vote and decide things. They would also have plays, you know, dramas and those kind of things. Uh, but they go there. They drag a couple of the known Christians along, people who are with Paul, and they go to this place and just basically don't know what to do. They're like, this is the place where stuff happens and we need something to happen. And you know, I've always had a hard time picturing this scene and kind of like, this just seems a bit much. But sadly, I mean, this is the kind of thing that happened on January 6th here in the United States. People, people got angry and unfocused in their rage and just they went to the place where decisions happen and they wanted something to happen. And if you watch them, they kind of really don't know if you watch the video of people on that day going through the Capitol. It's just like, they want something to happen. And they're so angry and unfocused. And that's essentially what's happening here in Ephesus. There's this stuff happening, and I don't like it, and I'm afraid, and I'm concerned, and I'm going to lose, and, and, and there's identity wrapped up in it. Who am I? And, and, and you think of January 6th, it's like, what, what is an American? What does it mean to be uh, here in this place? And all those kind of things, right? That's what's going on here in Ephesus. It's the same kind of thing. Like, what's happening to the world around me? Everything's out of control. All that I've built my life on, my hopes and dreams, it just it's, I, it seems like it's smoke. And I can't hold on to it any longer. That's, that's Demetrius, right? And, and the crowd... 
The second voice isn't that of Alexander, who the language is unclear about who put him forward and why they put him forward, this guy in the middle there. Uh, but the, he is identified as someone who is Jewish. And either not making a clear distinction between the Christian message that Paul was presenting or knowing enough to know that someone who is Jewish is a monotheist as well. They only believe in one God and don't believe in idols, right? I mean, that's a Judeo-Christian common shared value, right? Whether that's what's going on, we don't know. So they shout him down, and they literally shout him down for hours. And then the, the second voice, speaking of danger, stands up, and it's the town clerk, uh, somewhat of an administrative role, you might think of a town clerk, but a little more than that. He would prepare you know, the, the agenda and all the things that they would need to vote on. He didn't have a lot of power, but he could control the agenda, what was talked about. He was a recognized official. He was a, a local person, not so much you know, aristocracy, not so much that, but still in a position of authority. And listen to what he says. He's, he's, he's very clever. He quiets the crowd who perhaps think, oh, now we're going to get somewhere. You know, we're going to vote on something or do something, right? So he quiets the crowd. Verse 35. And he says, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesus is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis? And of the image which fell down from heaven. Look, everybody knows. Guys, there's the temple right there on the hill. We can all see it. Everybody knows. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Everybody knows. That's, that's Ephesus. This is our thing. Everybody knows this, right? Who doesn't know that? Come on. And the image which fell down from heaven. There, there, there are reports that there was a stone above the entry to the temple that, that may have been a meteor or it may have been something inside of the temple that was a meteor. It's a little debatable, but there is something that fell from heaven, undoubtedly a meteor of some sort, something like that, uh, that they connected with Artemis and a gift of the gods. Perhaps there's some sense of, hey, that wasn't made with human hands, was it? It came from heaven. Maybe there's a sense of that. Seems a little too sophisticated of an argument, but perhaps... So he says that, right? He says that everybody knows this, verse 36. So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. Just calm down. Just breathe. Don't do anything rash. Verse 27. You brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. You can't charge them with anything really wrong with respect to doing something with the temple physically, right? They didn't go in and do anything like that. Verse 38, he says, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session, proconsuls are available, let them bring the charges against one another. He's saying what? Look, we have law and order. We have a system that will work. Bring it through the courts. Address it through the right channels. It will be taken care of, guys. There is a right way to handle this. Verse 30, if you want to do anything beyond that, some sort of, you know, basically, uh, 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 what do you call those? Civil case, right? 
basically, if you guys have a civil case against these guys, bring it that way. If there is something where you feel like they are chargeable with a crime against the city, against the people, then you go through the proper channels with a proper assembly, get it on the agenda, and they would meet something like every 10 days, at least every two weeks, they would have a big town meeting and vote on things. So he says, you can do that. The proconsul was over all of Asia. They're available if you have a serious charge of things to go at. So then now here's the danger, right? Verse 40. Indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. And there's no real cause for it. In this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. Who is he, who is he saying there's a danger from? Right? Demetrius says, Paul is the danger in this message that no gods are gods. We might lose the temple and all of that. The town clerk is saying, no, guys, you're the danger. And what's going to happen is that Rome is going to come crack down on us. Rome is going to take away our freedom. Rome is going to take away our ability to gather. And there is uh, some background here where 10 years before this or something that, that the city got in trouble with Rome and they would be on their radar. One of the things Rome did not like, the Roman Empire did not like troublemakers and riots and they would just come and take them out. Right? People would get physically beat up, killed, whatever, to maintain the peace. They needed peace through the big empire, and so if you started causing trouble, they would come and crack down on you. And so he's saying, look, we've got peace. Don't ruin our peace. Don't ruin the thing that we've got here. You guys, be careful. Calm down. Go through the proper channels. And everything will be okay. Just now take those two for a second. It's, it's very easy to say, okay, Demetrius and the temple, right, they're literally making idols. And of course we shouldn't worship them. But do you see that really it's not even the things, the silver shrines, the little temple replicas or replicas of Artemis or whatever it was they were making in particular that somebody might take home as a souvenir or to worship it, that that really wasn't even the problem, right? He's not making a theological case. Demetrius is saying, we're going to lose our prosperity. He's saying, we're going to lose our reputation. He's saying, we're losing our identity. He's saying, everything is falling apart, our whole way of life. Because this guy, Paul, is saying that God's made with hands aren't God's. Do you see the idolatry beyond the physical object? As Pastor Dave said in the children's message, right? idolatry is when we put anything up, when we trust in it, hope in it, love it, fear losing it, when anything becomes more important than God. That's idolatry. When our love for something else, our trust in something else, leads us to a place where we would disobey God. That's idolatry. And here it's pretty clear, right? He's saying, look, 
whatever Paul is saying, whatever this truth may be, we're not going to even deal with that. We need to put an end to this whole thing so that we keep our prosperity, so that we keep our reputation. That's idolatry. The town clerk, what's his idolatry? Law and order? Trust the system? Do you think everyone in that city is like, yeah, I trust the system? System's been broke forever. It's not an American problem, right? The, like it's everybody, all systems are, are broken. They're, they're run by broken human beings. There will be injustices, right? Sometimes they affect lots of people, sometimes only a few. And so people in the system and people with power tend to say that, right? Like, trust the system. It'll work out. They put their hope in it. And they're not necessarily lying, right? They, they believe that. It has worked for them. Trust the system. It'll work. Stay calm. And in fact, that's, that's probably part of what he's saying, is it not? Exercise some self-control. Get a hold of yourselves. You can do this. You know the right thing, and you know what's obviously true. Trust Trust your judgment. Take the emotion out of it right now and just do the right thing. There's an interesting factor going on here, right? Uh, I was reading up on idolatry this week. Some really good articles. Um, They made this case, in essence, that that you, you and I, we were made with two really important facets built into us. Two things we we really want and we really need. Uh, We were made to exercise dominion. We were made to work and to bring about things, to create, to, to even as tradesmen, right, to make things. We were made for that. Under God, to exercise authority and dominion, to tend the earth and take care of it, to have families and raise them up, to build buildings and houses and organizations and all those kind of things. So what we were made for. We were made also to do that dependent upon God in this relationship with Him where we recognize that we are under his authority even as we exercise authority. That he ultimately is in charge and that everything we do should line up with his will. So we were made to be dependent upon God even as we exercise some dominion in the world. The problem is that as broken human beings, that the dominion becomes domination. The dominion becomes absent of God, our exercise of power and authority and what we want to get done without respect to God, and that the dependence upon God is substituted with slavery to something else. We take God out of the picture and we inflate. We get our little spiritual pumps out. This is a pump. I'm, I'm doing a bike pump. You ever have a bike pump? You get your, you get your spiritual pump out, and you breathe life into some object, person, thing in creation to fill up 
the God vacuum that you just put in place. So it could be prosperity, right? It could be Artemis. It could be your identity as an Ephesian. Your association with the great temple. It could be your work. It could be your team. It could be your nation. It could be any number of things. It could even be your religion. And you pump that thing up and find your identity and meaning and purpose in it. And you become a slave to it. And it leads you away from God. And it never satisfies the deep and abiding need you have for a proper dependence. You just think about something like alcohol, drugs, other substances, right? That's so obvious to see. And if you've never been addicted and hooked on those things, you kind of go, why do you do that? It's a slavery. You've just, you're, you're... You're slaving yourself away to that. You know, part of the problem is, there's a lot of factors, right? So there's a lot of factors. There there are biological factors. There are environmental factors and upbringing and brokennesses. And there is a heart factor. So don't hear me saying, just believe in Jesus and it breaks your addiction and all that kind of thing. Yes, and. Right, so one of the problems in there of addiction's power and it could be a sexual addiction or pornography, drugs, a substance, anything like that, right? It, it comes to the place where that's, we get a taste of it and, and we need more. And it feels good and then it fades away. And you need more and you need more until you finally are just broken. And the, and the problem is just that. It's you've inflated something in creation to fill the place of a God who is over all creation. And the God who loves you and who would never put you in slavery and intend any harm for you ever. The one who, in fact, who loves you so much that he would come down, take on human flesh, and put himself in your place to live under his own laws, though he did not have to, to suffer your punishment and guilt and shame and brokenness to be estranged and alienated in a way that I don't know how we will ever understand that one. That the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would introduce some brokenness and dysfunction among themselves so that one of them would take our place and and experience the rejection and the wrath of God worthy of us spending eternity to pay for our sins and would fulfill it because he is God in a matter of days. And to say to you, all you really need to receive that is to believe it. To take that message of saying, you know what, I have inflated things in creation. I have built them up. Relationships, work, ethnicity, church, Ministry, all could be those things. Not to mention illicit things. We can take good things and inflate them. Family is important, right? But when family is the only thing and you neglect other responsibilities, that's a problem. Work is important. 
Work is necessary. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? And if work becomes more important than other priorities that God would have you to keep, it's a problem. It's an idol. You can roll that thing out in a number of ways. So that, that's, that, that aspect of blowing some up in creation, of distorting what we were made for, for a right dominion and work in a dependent relationship with God. And so the, the last voice crying out here is Paul's voice pretty well quoted by Demetrius saying what? That, that gods made without hands are no gods. That truth that would come and say that you've been depending on a lie, that you inflated some part of creation, that that is not a God, that this thing in your hand is a lie. The problem is not your trade and, or your work. The problem is not your prosperity. Even it's your importance and the value you have put on them that they have become more important than the true and living God and your relationship to Him. Interesting couple of words that that we have to point out before we close here. Demetrius actually gets the gospel pretty well, even though it doesn't change his heart, apparently. He says in verse 26, you see and hear, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away. First of all, he notes he says, see and hear. He says, see. What does he mean see? You see lives transformed. You see people doing things that, that from your perspective just don't make sense, right? Why are they burning millions of dollars worth of scrolls? You hear these reports from all over. Then he says the, one of the most interesting things in this whole passage. This Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people. This word, turned away. You know where else it occurs? <clears throat> Colossians 1, verse 13, where we read, uh, starting at, at Colossians 1, 11, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, verse 13 of Colossians 1, for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that that word transferred is what Demetrius says of turning away. Yeah, you know, from the perspective of Demetrius, a Christian has turned away, what? From idolatry. He has fled from it and been transferred, we would say, what? From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From death into life. From eternal judgment to freedom in Christ. That, that transfer that happens there, what happens is, verse 27, Demetrius again nails it. There's a danger, not only that Artemis will be regarded as worthless, her temple, but she whom all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. The, the word for magnificence there is actually great place. So the great Artemis is going to be dethroned, taken down from her great place, this great height that she's in, that, that word for dethroned appears one other place, a couple places, but one place in particular. It's in this passage that says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10.3. 
10.4, For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The, the word there for destruction of fortresses, tearing down strongholds, that's this word. That yes, Artemis is coming down. The most important place that Artemis is dethroned is not in that temple, it's not in the crushing of the images or the burning of those books, but in the hearts of the human beings who have submitted now to the lordship of Jesus Christ and found the right dependence in life as they can then engage in the dominion they were God created to engage in. That's the gospel. And we see that from our perspective as an unbeliever as some sort of restriction and we can't understand it and it doesn't make sense out there and what we need is a transformation from the inside out and that never goes away brothers and sisters we continually need that renewal and that transformation to work deeper and deeper into the, the nooks and crannies of our hearts that's the, the gospel truth that needs to just saturate and drill down and permeate every part of our life. You know, you come to Christ. Things change dramatically. We've talked about that. I remember I, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. I think I told you guys this, right? I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. I had a shrine. My room was a shrine. I, I did not grow up as a Christian, just so you know, okay? I had a shrine. Pictures of him everywhere. I, I painted my guitar. Actually, I used electrical tape, colored electrical tape, because I didn't have to paint, didn't have time, and all that kind of stuff, right? So I put striped tape all over my guitar. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours playing the guitar, trying to be Eddie Van Halen. Uh, fast forward 10 years later, gospel enters my life. I'm convicted of sin. And I have no interest in being Eddie Van Halen. I have no interest in the music. I have no interest in playing guitar. And it just falls away in my mind. Fast forward a little bit longer. I go to a Bible study with people my age. I was younger then. I was under 30, believe it or not, at that time. I didn't have gray hair. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm celebrating my 30th birthday again for the 20th time here in a couple of you know. um, so, so I go to this Bible study with people my age, and there's a guy playing guitar and leading worship. I, I, I got saved. I got into a church that had an organ and choir and all that kind of stuff. It, I, I never, honestly, never occurred to me that you could lead worship with a guitar, that you could sing songs about Jesus without an organ. And I saw it and I thought, hey, I could do that. You could play guitar for Jesus? <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. Why, why do I say all that? Maybe the barrier that you have to, to, to coming to Jesus at all, to going deeper perhaps in your relationship with Jesus is you feel like it, there's never going to be anything good, that all the things you want to do won't happen, that it's just all these laws and broken. You know, it's like, no, I don't want it. It's confining and lack of freedom. The, the total opposite is true. But you will not know it and believe it and experience it until you have actually transferred your trust to him and entered into his world and have now, in union with Jesus, taken on his perspective for life. And there will be things that change radically, that change forever. 
And there will be things that you have been doing your whole life and you will do them for different reasons. And you will find a greater satisfaction and joy in them. And peace and contentment because you will never find that if you are not in that right relationship of dependence upon God who created you and made you and loves you and have engaged in the world in a way that honors Him and respects His will for your life. That's the gospel perspective. That's the danger here that Paul alone has perceived and shares through his gospel. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you, you have set us free. And Lord, we wander back to those things that don't satisfy. Would you show, show us them? Shine that light that we might repent of them. Those, those little idolatries, those temptations. Lord, some of us are really struggling in them. I pray for those in addictions of various kinds, especially that, Lord, you, you would bring them into relationships with others who would show them a life of Jesus that is fulfilling. That whatever those holes are that they're trying to fill, the brokennesses and the sorrows, that you would walk through them in that and let them grieve. That you would walk through that and set them free. That they might find a dependence upon you. I pray, O oh Lord, for those of us who work too hard, would you manage our priorities? I pray for those of us, O oh Lord, who don't work hard enough, would you provide work and guidance? I pray, O oh Lord, in all of this, that you would build us up, that our dependence would be upon you, and we would engage in this world for your glory and the good of others, we pray. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.